I love the church. And I, yeah, you can clap if you want to. That, that'd be great. I mean, if you're going to clap, they'll really clap. Uh, that's right. There you go. I, I want to thank the worship team today for, as they faithfully serve every week. But I, I just, Pastor Doug, thank you and, and thank that team uh, for the quality in which they just shared with us the they, they, weren't, they weren't entertainers. They're leading us in worship. I, uh, this, this guy, and I very seldom ever do this, this guy that right here that just played on this guitar, and I would dare not even touch that instrument because I would mess it up. But I, I, I want you to know something. What he was doing was, was worship unto the Lord. And when he was playing one section, which I, I play the guitar a little bit, not like him, but I can tell you that he had not just picked that up today. But it was as unto the Lord. <laughs> that blessed me. You blessed me today. You blessed the Lord today. Thank you, all, all of the worship team. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, but if you don't, uh, I want you to listen to the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful, it is sharp, it is quick. In Matthew chapter 16, the Bible says this in verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Here's Simon Peter. <laughs> Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father, who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love the Christian church. I love it with all my heart. It was the Christian church that loved me and introduced me to Jesus. It was the Christian church that supported me as a pastor's son that sometimes was, I know most of you will not be able to believe this, but was rebellious, stubborn, hard-headed. If my wife were here right now, she would be saying, amen, amen, amen. If my mom were here, she'd be saying, he's preaching now. It was the Christian church who recognized my gifts and encouraged me to utilize those gifts through service even as a, as a teenager. It was a, it was a Christian church who, who led me to my image of God. It was the Christian church that shared the message of truth and grace with me. It was the Christian church that challenged me to take my relationship with Jesus very seriously. It was the Christian church that challenged me and, by the way, still challenges me to grow to mature. 
I'm glad that he's still working on me. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, by the way, he's still working on you too. Yeah, some of you needed to hear that because some of you thought you have arrived. You have matured. You're mature in the faith. You know, some of us have the idea that somehow the church is a democracy. That's wrong. That's a lie. It is a theocracy. Oh, some of you have woken up this morning. You're going to listen to what I've got to say now. Because you, you think that, that your vote really counts. Folks, this is a theocracy. Everything, everything that we do should be under God's leadership. I mean, if we do anything that is apart from God's leadership, we should run away from those things. Well, I better get back to my notes. I'll get in trouble. But it was the Christian church that, that taught me the Bible, put an emphasis on the Bible in my life, and discipled me. It was the Christian church that taught me to serve and also taught me to give. And it was the Christian church that helped me discover my gifts and my life mission. I love the church. Man, I love the church. It breaks my heart when I hear some critics say, I don't think that the church makes much of a difference in today's society and world. I cannot imagine where my life would be without the Christian church. I don't know what I would be. I don't know where I would be. I don't know where my family would be today. So when the Christian church gets it right, and let me assure you of something, often we don't get it right. But when the church gets it right, it is the most powerful force for God and for good on the planet. I love the church. You know what happens when we get it right? When the church gets it right, communities are suddenly transformed. It's not necessarily the things that we do, even though those things are impactful. It is the presence and the power of God, because when the church gets it right, communities are affected by the presence and the power of God. Marriages are healed. Lost people have their lives and their eternal destinies changed forever. The hurting are helped and lifted up. Lives are transformed. The church will begin to grow exponentially and walls, all kinds of walls, are broken down. Generational walls, ethnicity walls, all of those walls that we sometimes put up, all of those are, are, are misplaced and displaced and they're broken down the church today and the church right after Christ the early church don't look much alike when you go to the book of Acts and I want to encourage you to turn there with me to Acts chapter 2 most churches today are so allergic to the leading of the Holy Spirit that nothing new ever starts ladies and gentlemen what fueled the expansion of the early church? Let's look this morning at some things the early Christ followers majored in that we have to, First Bradenton, we have to get back. First thing I want to share with you this morning from Acts 2, and we'll read it in just a moment. But there were, there were some things that these Christ followers majored in. They, first of all, made, they believed God uses everyone. 
the life and the impact of those early church and these followers exploded because the church was filled with servants. On the other hand, the church today, the majority of our churches are filled with spectators. Could that be one of the reasons the church has become so stagnant and spoiled? I read all the time about churches that are splitting, churches that are uh, coming to odds with one another. The early church don't think that they didn't have diversity in that church. They did. But they changed the world without a lot of resources. It, it, it had the one resource. That early church had its people. And they all served. Uh, it didn't matter their age. It didn't matter uh, their status in life. These early Christians didn't have a lot of financial backing. They didn't have great buildings. They didn't have organizational structures. They didn't even have denominational support. They didn't have lighting systems and microphones and video capability or seminary training. They didn't have a stable economy or favorable government situations and conditions. They didn't have supportive media. Basically, there were 11 or so people who had just come off of a season of failure and they were very discouraged. But what did they have? Impact. Why? They had impact because everyone was a player and not a spectator. You see, Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James and Stephen and Philip and Lydia and Priscilla and Aquila were some of those early church leaders. And if you notice, there were some women involved there. Hello? Man, I, I don't know about you, but, but the first Sunday school teacher that I remember was not a man. She was a woman, and she loved God with all of her heart. In fact, her name was Beely Williams, and, and we called her, at least around my house, Aunt Beely, because she could fix the best strawberry shortcake you've ever eaten. But she taught me the Word of God. For about two years of my elementary school life, she was my Sunday school teacher, and she was one of those influential, impactful people that on a daily, uh, really on a daily, but on a weekly basis, when I would come to that small group called Sunday School, Miss Beely was my teacher, our teacher. There's no telling how many Young people, she has led to Christ, and now she's in heaven, but she was so important. Well, when I look at, at, at the number that started with only, you know, these people and 120 people, they, they, they went into 32 countries, 120 people. They went to, to 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands, and to the superpower of that day, to Rome, to Rome. They were all in. They were ordinary people, just like us. Peter's mouth was always open. Thomas was always doubting. The disciples were constantly arguing about who was going to be the greatest, they had to be Baptist. 
You turn, turn to your neighbor right now, someone this morning, and say, God uses everyone, and that means you too. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? God uses everyone. God uses everyone. Church, listen to me. One of the things that needs to happen in this body is that God wants to use you, and you need to be available. Not, and here's the problem that many of us face. We don't want to be available for what we are talented in doing or what we're gifted in doing. We want to do something else. It's like someone saying, I want to be on the worship team, but you can't sing nor play an instrument. Lord, that's, that's, like, that's like trying to fit a, you know, a, a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't work. And, and trust me, I have stood by some of you before, and you don't belong on the worship team. <laughs> oh, okay. It got a, little, got a little critical there, didn't I? Acts chapter 2. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, day by day, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, the Lord, don't, don't miss that. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These People lived to unleash compassion. They lived to unleash this infectious compassion. The early Christians began with good deeds that led, those good deeds led to goodwill. And because good deeds led to goodwill, it created an openness to share the good news. Ladies and gentlemen, most churches are no longer seeing those opportunities. We attempt to deliver the good news without good deeds, and so there is no goodwill. The church has been called to unleash compassion. Let me ask you a question. What do you want First Baptist Church of Bradenton to be known for? What is it that you want this body, this group of people to be known for? When people drive by on Manatee Avenue and they see this building the represent, that represents the worship center of First Baptist Church and all the buildings, but we all know that's not the church. That's just the buildings. But, but what do you want? When people drive by and they see this sign and they see this church building, what do you want this place to represent? What do you want it to be made? to be known for do you want people to identify you maybe as the the large church the large downtown church or maybe i don't know the church with a, a big cross or do you want to be known as the church that has a a a, a, a passion play at easter or maybe a pageant at christmas what do, you, what do you want this church to be known for? Or, or would you want people to identify First Bradenton as the church that actually cares about the community and the people who make up this community? 
Here's a wonderful goal, that, that you would unleash so much compassion that if, if you tried to shut the doors of this church, the community outcry would be so great that they wouldn't let you close. Next, they exchange self-centered living for sacrificial giving. The Bible is packed with the sacrificial generosity of early Christians. Imagine the impact in our country if overnight every single Christ follower made this decision. From now on, from now on, I am going to live for things that are more important than pleasing myself. I'm going to live so that I can share and so that I can give and so that I can give away. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Ooh. He said, sell what you have and give it to the poor. We have become theological gymnasts to try to get Jesus not to say what he actually said. Nothing happens by accident. Starting with the example of Jesus. All expansion of the kingdom of God is a result of somebody's sacrifice. The church will be ineffective and joyless until we wake up and get this right. We are called to go beyond tipping, even beyond tithing. We have been called to sacrificial giving. And only then will we experience the joy of giving and the blessing of changing lives and the community in which we live. Now, folks, I didn't expect to have a roaring amen at that point in time. But I'm going to tell you something. Until the church gets this right, there will be none of this overflowing joy within the body. I remember as a boy going to a place called Camp Zion in Myrtle, Mississippi. Most of you will never have never even heard of that place. Uh, the director and the pastor of that church and the director of the camp, his name, I'm sure he's in heaven by now, was Dr. Percy Ray. I was just a boy. I, had, I was just tagging along with my dad and his little Volkswagen, and we were going to, to, to what I thought was church camp. Little did I know it was preacher's camp. And there in that camp for many, many years of my life as a boy, my dad would take me along with him. And most every day of that camp, I would sit through literally 12 to 14 hours of preaching and singing every day. Some of you are going, oh, that sounds like someplace other than heaven. But for me, it was the training ground where I began to see what I'm sharing with you today. I watched, I'll never forget, watching in one service, my father, they were taking an offering and it was a very, it was a very spiritual time, it was a very high and holy time and the, the, the gentleman who was making the appeal for the offering, I mean, because we were staying in dormitories, the church cooked the food, it, it, but I had seen so much happen in those times and they were taking a sacrificial offering and I, and I knew when, when my dad pulled out his wallet, I, you know, kids are nosy, we usually know what's in dad's wallet. Well, my dad emptied his whole wallet, and then my dad always, he was an unusual guy, but he carried a little coin purse, 
And in that coin purse, I knew that there were, some of you are too young to know what these are, but there were some silver dollars that my grandfather had given my father, and they were pretty precious to my dad. There were five of those silver dollars. And I saw my dad literally empty everything out of his wallet and even that coin purse. So I knew this was, this was something. And there that day, we took up a sacrificial offering to help start a church. And it was, it was overwhelming, the amount of money that was given by a bunch of poor preachers. God exponentially multiplied that. I'll never forget as a boy, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, sitting there by my dad wondering, how are we going to get home? You just gave all your money away. It wasn't in the day where you had a credit card. And knowing my dad, he wouldn't have had a credit card because he was so tight he made Lincoln squeak. So he would have never paid anybody interest. But after the service was over, we were, we were just sit, sitting around talking, rejoicing. And this gentleman walked up to my dad, and he, put his, he didn't know my dad. He put his arm around my dad, and he said, God told me to give you this. And I'll never forget it. He handed him a $100 bill. And I thought, I hope somebody puts their arm around me. <laughs> they didn't. But that gentleman said, God spoke to my heart and told me to give you this. Now, I want to say this to you. When we start exchanging self-centered living for the sacrificial giving, we will begin to understand the power and the presence of a God who has it all. This is not prosperity theology, folks. This is biblical teaching. I want you to understand that anytime we give our shovel, when we dig deep and we give out of our, God's shovel is like a uh, front-end loader, okay? He doesn't, he, he doesn't need us, but he really is blessed. And when we begin to give, he will give proportionately more. He always does. Number four, they were passionate about the last and the least. The least are not people who are less valuable or important. They are people who are often forgotten. I look around this city, and I want to tell you, there are a lot of forgotten people. I look around where I live and there are forgotten people. There are people who don't think they will ever be able to measure up. Ladies and gentlemen, none of us can measure up. There's not one of us. The Bible says there is none good. No, not one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. We must Remove that mentality within the church that says, well, you know, I'm here because I'm, I'm a little, no, you're not. All of us, all of us. And I've had people say to me, well, you know, one of these days, when I, when I get cleaned up enough, I'm going to come to church. You're never going to get there, folks. You're never going to get spiritually, you know, it's, it's like saying I'm going to get clean before I take a bath. 
You take a bath because you need to get clean or you get a shower because you need to get clean. Ladies and gentlemen, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners, every single one of us. And if we think that somehow we have slipped in because of our parents or because, you know, in my case, my dad was a pastor. Let me tell you, that, that made me even more of a sinner. I am a sinner. I am lost and undone without Christ and without Jesus saving me, without him beginning this relationship in my life, without him forgiving me of my sin. I am lost and undone, and I'm headed for a devil's hell. We don't talk about that a lot. But listen, because of Christ, because of the cross, because of his death, because of his burial, and yes, because of his resurrection, I can be free. I can be forgiven. I can be set free. I can live this exchange life, not I, but Christ, who lives in me. And let me tell you, that message has to be given to the least and the last. The fifth thing was that they were passionate about people far from God. The church is here for people who have not yet walked through the doors. We have to be looking. We have to be constantly watching and seeing people as they pull into our parking lot, as they come into our lives. These are people for whom Christ died for. He loves them. We can never view anybody other than this is someone for whom Jesus died for and loves. We have to see everybody that way. Number six, they were called to a full commitment to both grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of, of the only Son from the Father. Listen to this, full of grace and truth. Scan, scan your Bible sometime, the whole Bible, and you will see that everything hinges on the twin theological foundations of grace and truth. The problem is that most Christians major in one and minor in the other. Jesus was a perfect example of commitment to both grace and truth. Jesus said to the woman who was caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Notice that neither do I condemn you is grace. Because you know what? She was an adulteress. He could have said, I condemn you. You've sinned. Listen to what he said, neither do I condemn you, that's grace. Go and sin no more is truth. Do you understand? That's perfect balance. The most exciting thing about representing Jesus in a polarized culture is holding on to both truth and grace, making a 100% commitment to both truth and grace of God is like hooking together two live wires. Sparks fly and power flows. Today it is exciting to hold on to biblical truth with one hand and hold the hand of every person with the other and never let go. Christians are called to be believers, but we're called to be belongers. You will never be the type of believer that God wants you to be until you get rooted and committed in a local church. I have the profound gift of killing 
houseplants. My wife will buy a plant and she'll say, stay away from it, Alan. Plants need what? They need water. Sometimes they need sun. Without water, they don't have a future. Imagine that Imagine right now that you are a plant, okay? And you get put into a pot and you get food and water. And then one week later, you get yanked out of that pot and you get food and water. And every single week for 12 straight weeks, you get put into a different pot and you get food and water. After 12 weeks, you, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to die. Why? Not because you didn't get food and water, you got food and water, but because you weren't in one place long enough to put down roots, get nourishment, and really grow. People go to church shopping and hopping and going from one church to another, and they're looking for the perfect pastor and the perfect staff. And listen to me, one of the reasons there is so much shallow Christianity is that people are not staying in the church that God planted them in to put down deep roots and get nourished and really grow. And another reason, and let me tell you this, well, there's my plants. Let me tell you this. I'm going to give you a secret. Are y'all listening? I'm not going to raise my voice at all. There is no such thing as a perfect pastor. Are y'all looking at me? There's no such thing as a perfect staff. They don't exist. Stop looking for them, because if you got around them, you would ruin them. You'll let me joke with you a little bit, but I want you to, listen, so, I get so worn out. I, I, I ask people sometimes, so what brought you what brought you to this church? And man, I always get blessed when people say, we've been, we've been attending, we've found a connection here. We've been, we want to plant our hearts. We want to plant our ministry. We want to we serve here. We want we to plant our family here. Man, I get blessed by that. But a lot of times, you know what I hear? And, and having been out of the senior pastorate role now for almost 10 years, and, and going into churches and serving as an interim or serving as a transitional pastor, I can go back to my home church and oftentimes they'll, you know, they'll, they'll say to me, you know, these are new people and, and, and I'll see those people and they're there for about nine months and then they're over to another church where I'm speaking at, they're there. And, and, and yeah, we moved over here because we, we like the pastor over here a lot better. We really like, he, he wears skinny jeans. We like skinny jeans. Listen, I'm telling you, folks, people move and transport their church membership like they're hunting for something. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. The success or failure of your life is largely determined by the equipment that you use. I wouldn't dare try to fly to the Bahamas, and I'll be going there Thursday and Friday. To, I'll be in Marsh Harbor on Thursday and Freeport on Friday to look at, at, at what we're doing there, but I would dare not get in anything other than that twin-engine chieftain. I wouldn't dare say, let's take the hang glider today, see if we make it. Well, first of all, we don't have a hang glider that could handle Alan, uh, but you wouldn't try to hit a golf ball without a golf club, would you? 
You wouldn't try to, to fight a forest fire with a squirt gun. You have to have the right equipment. I think I've got you now. God has created a, a piece of equipment for us to use. The church. Without it, you will never be what you could be. But recommending the church comes with a warning. You're never going to find the perfect church because if you do, you will ruin it. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. What you will find is a church that is loaded with benefits spiritually. Go in and be a blessing. Go in and be a blessing to your pastor. Go in and be a servant to that church body. Go in and you say, but I can't do anything but pray. Oh my goodness, pray, pray, pray. I had a, a dear, dear saint of God in my last church that she said, Pastor, I can't even always get there on Sunday, but with tears streaming down her face, she said to me, every nine o'clock and at 10.30, I know that you're getting ready to stand up and preach God's word. And even if I'm not there, Pastor, I am sitting in my couch, on my couch. I am asking God to fill you with his spirit. I am asking God to be present in that church. I am asking God to save souls. Do you understand the ministry that lady had? Well, she didn't teach a connections class. Oh, no. But she had a ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, it's high time that we get rid of this mentality that says, oh, we'll just hire it done. When you can do it. When I got to Agape several years ago, nine and a half years ago, we had 18 on our staff, and we were, we were overstaffed and underfunded, and we had... We had a lot of dysfunction going on, and, and one of the things that I quickly realized that, that people moved to Venice and people moved to this part of Florida, but there, there's a lot of talented, very experienced people, and we started figuring out there were people there like, like the, C, C, the chief financial officer for a major corporation lived five blocks from, from our hangar and had started coming in and we were putting up some tile in a ceiling and, and Don was standing, Don was putting tile up in a ceiling. He wasn't doing a very good job of it. You could tell that's not what he did. And I, I said, Don, what did you, what did you do uh, for your real job? And he said, man, I was chief financial officer and he named the, I said, the what? I said, could you come help us? He said, well, sure. And so for the last 10 years, he's given us three days, three days a week, eight hours a day. The man brings his lunch pail to work. And he has so helped us. Do you know what I paid him? I paid him a lot of appreciation, but I never wrote the man a check because he didn't want a check. He began to write us checks. But that was his giftedness. He so helped us align ourselves financially that he was such a blessing. But I could tell you story after story after story. Within this body, there are talented, wonderful, wonderfully gifted people. God has called you to service. Now again, I've got to say this. Oftentimes I see people trying to do something they're not gifted at. But they don't want to hear that. But if God has gifted you... Offer that service 
as unto the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I get excited when I read the book of Acts. I get excited when I find a church like First Bradenton that's right there. I love the church. I love it with all my heart. And God wants to do something in this body that we could not dream or even begin to com comprehend. But he's waiting for us to say, yes, Lord, I surrender. I give up, not my agenda, but yours. Remember what I said that the church is not a democracy, it's a theocracy. That's exactly what I just said in common terms. Not my will, but yours, Lord. Not my way, but yours. Because, ladies and gentlemen, when we give up and give in, he takes over. By the way, sometimes people say to me, well, God is on my side. Can I tell you something? God's not on anybody's side. He hasn't come to take sides. He's come to take over. Somebody said to me this week, well, God's on Donald Trump's side. And I said, really? And I'm sure that someone would say, well, God's on Joe Biden's side. Now, don't, don't look at me that way. God's not on either side. God is God. <laughs> He wants to take over. And when we surrender ourselves and we say, Lord, you are amazing. You are great. I surrender. He takes over. And when he takes over, he fully takes over. And we get the results of God. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have his results than my results any day. God is faithful, isn't he? We're going to do something a little different this morning. Some of you sometimes, I think, like me, kind of get in a rut. And you expect me now to close this service by saying, I want you to come down that aisle, that aisle, that aisle, that aisle, that aisle. And today, if, if you're here and without Christ, I do want to talk to you about that. Because I want to share with you the greatest news the best news, that Jesus, yes, indeed, loves you and died for you, and he wants to give you new life. But church, on a Sunday morning, here's what I want us to do. It'll be a little, little different, a little awkward. And don't, you know, please, don't, don't get up before the service is over. You know, sometimes people, they'll get up and they'll leave. And I don't, I don't get that. I, 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 I go to a football game. I'm staying until the end of the fourth quarter. I'm going to hear the horn sound. Now, my wife, she wants to leave at halftime after the band. I'm ready to watch the whole game. But leaving a church service is, is like saying, okay, I got what I wanted. Boom. Don't care if I disturb anybody else. You see, when you, you get up, you distract folks. So don't do that. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you, to do something really odd. It's really not that odd, though. It's church. 
The church is made up of what? People. I want you to look around this building. Go ahead and look around. Don't make faces, but just look around. And this is a, a good-looking group. Yeah, look around. Smile at somebody. It's okay. It's okay. Now, stand with me, if you will. Worship team's going to come, and here's what I want us to do. Don't disengage. Don't disengage, because we're not done yet. I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to huddle up with about 10 people. You say, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I want you to get around 10 people. Get around 10 people. Get around them. Just get around them. Don't leave anybody out. Get around them. There you go. There you go. Gather some people around you. There you go. Now, now, now. You like to talk, don't you? I love it. I love it. Now, do this. Do this. Get, get in a group. There you go. Boy, y'all look good. Now pray. Now pray right now. Somebody, go ahead and pray. It's okay. Pray out loud. Just go ahead and start praying right now. Just pray for one another right now.